All right, you ready to go? Buckle your seatbelts. Here we go. We're going back into the book of Acts. And as we, as we go into this session, I thought, gosh, there are so many directions I could have gone into uh, thinking about what's happening now and thinking about what happened then. Know that uh, there have been conflicts and wars uh, going on this planet for um, ever since Cain and Abel started the murder uh, outside of the Garden of Eden. And there have only been 28 years in recorded human history where there hasn't been conflict or war. And yet the promise, as you go into the book of Isaiah, which is a wonderful book, as I'm camping there, is the, the image we talked about, the Messiah, when the Messiah comes, the promise is he's going to turn these swords or weapons of war into practical things for benefiting the whole society of making plowshares. And so I've entitled this uh, in timely manner from discord to accord. And to look at the book of Acts, uh, that this is what's going on right as we open up in the middle of Acts 15. Now as we get into Acts 15, uh, we're thinking about Again, the emotional conflict that's going on. It's emotional, it's rational, it's political, it's spiritual. It's all these things. And you've heard me say once before that, that my, my phrase, my metaphor for conflict is a demon dance. And the demon dance means that Satan would love to take the church and split it and keep it divided and off kilter. And that often happens when people aren't listening to the Holy Spirit. And yet, as we get into uh, thinking about this tension, if there's a if there's a break in relationship, what I what I'm calling that dance of confusion, that dance of suspicion, that dance of distrust, it means unless you get back to reconciling emotionally and having a bridge that has the weight and trust to hold whatever discussion. Uh, that's the healing that needs to take place through forgiveness, through reconciliation, through understanding. But we're at this point of being more polarized, as you know, in our society than ever before. But as Christians, we should not be surprised by this because we know that our, our spiritual warfare is not with the flesh and blood, but those principalities and powers and darkness that are moving in our world, using the flesh to keep us separate Keep us unloving. Keep us in rebellion. That's not a surprise for us. But what's the good news is that in the church, in the church, we have been endowed by the Holy Spirit to be a new community, to be a heavenly community that we reflect a new way, a new life, being able to handle the fall and the tensions with grace, with wisdom. What to do? I'm going to read it to us. Is is uh, not just a a book, another story in the Bible. You've got to understand what was going on, and I will unpack this as we go through this. But to understand, there's conflict here. That's why I know the Bible is written by God, because if it were written by men, you'd have a nice smooth over this conflict. But there's some real tensions here. So listen to uh, this passage as I read Acts 15. Some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. 
And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. Therefore, being sent on their way by the church, they were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and they were bringing great joy to all the brethren. And when they had arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they re- who had God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up and saying, but it is necessary to circumcise them in order to direct them to observe the law of Moses. Well, the apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they are also. And all the people kept silent. And they were listening to Barnabas and Paul as related for his as it is written. After these things I will return, and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen. And I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who make these things known from long ago. Therefore, it is my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles, but that we write to them that they should abstain from things contaminated by idols and from fornication, from what is strangled and from blood. For Moses from ancient generations has in every city those who preach him, since he is read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them to send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, Judas called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brethren, and they sent them this letter. The apostles and brethren who are it seems sins for the seem good no great if you keep yourself free from these things you will do well farewell so they sent them away and they went down to Antioch and having gathered the congregation together they delivered the letter and when they had read it they rejoiced because of its encouragement Judas and Silas also being prophets themselves encouraged and strengthened the brethren with a lengthy message. And they had spent time there, and then they were sent away from the brethren in peace to those who had sent them out. But it seemed good to Silas to remain there, but Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch, teaching and preaching with many others also 
the word of the Lord. May God add a blessing to that word. Well, here we go. This book, this chapter, comes at a time where we understand that, that the leader is not, the disciple is not above his leader, as Jesus would say, but every disciple who has been fully trained will be like his leader. And what the leader gives to the disciple are ideas, visions, uh, plans and thoughts and understanding of who God is and what God is doing. But understand that ideas have consequences. Ideas like the Chinese fortune cookie, uh, if you've had that recently, it uh, makes me hungry. Uh, but it says that ideas are like children. They are none so wonderful as your own. And what you think about your ideas are probably the best ideas that you think. that. And so you're going to keep hold of what you believe because it's not that our beliefs uh, hold us, uh, but we hold our beliefs. There's a, something about how ideas grab onto us and, and keep us locked into a certain way of thinking. But ideas are, are our ideas, but they do have consequences. And a number of these you know, uh, as Karl Marx said, my object in life is to dethrone God and to destroy capitalism. If you're around this man, you hear his thoughts, his ideas have had an extended culture. Gender ideas have consequences when you hear about gender identity and the framing of the sexuality and the issues here, big issues that are spotlighted in our culture today. It used to be there was a gay movement. I recently heard about the feminists who put the lesbian in front of the gay, so it became LBGTQ. S-I-A and other letters plus. And so not, not, not to um, um, dismiss this because there are ideas that are locked into their thinking about how you define yourself in your sexuality. Big, big issues that are dividing the church, as you know, dividing uh, a lot of us in, in a lot of ways. But these ideas... Uh, whatever you have in terms of your perception and, and how you frame things and how you think about things, whether you're buying a house up in Mentor to leave your former house, we're not going to talk about that. Already, Bob and Pat. But when you make a choice of the house, you're making a decision based on an idea that this is good for us. The idea that this is good is underlying the ideas in line with our goals that are going to be profitable or healthy or in line with our goals, whether it's your career choice, whether it's the, the person you marry, or who you run with. And so all of these are ideas that are embedded down, and we pick them up, and we learn them, and we go along. But as the scriptures teach, that there's a way which seems right. And your perception, the way you think what is good is going to be manifested in your life is what we're talking about until it comes to this part where you come across people with different ideas. And now you've got clashes. And you've got people who are thinking, no, this is good. No, this is good. And now you've got real a basis of war. And when you are in war, remember, war has a first name. Tom, Jim, Steve. 
Every war has a name, and it's an individual who's representing an idea that they're fighting for something. And that whole idea of this dynamic that what's going on in one person is going on in another person, and there's two perceptions, and there's two decisions, and there's two worldviews going on. But this is the premise, that what you think in your heart, as Jesus would say, what comes from within is what you begin to feel emotionally passionate about in terms of you think this is what's important to me and what you think you feel and what you feel you say and what you say leads to your actions. And so this idea that if you understand what people do, then you have to unravel this to go back, well, where did they get that idea that this is good? Where did they get the idea that if I go and attack the electoral college in process that... That's a good thing. And so without understanding what the scriptures teach for us as Christians, we know and we live by this code that death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And therefore, what the Holy Spirit leads us to think and say, feel, think, feel, say, and do comes from within, but we know it's either going to lead us to life or it's going to lead us to death. And that's what we understand. It's more than just words. These ideas are powerful ideas wrapped up. But the thing about, uh, if, you're, if you're honest, if you have any kind of sense of integrity, you realize that it's not all simple. And there are times when believers do disagree Godly men and women on different sides of the aisle will come to see things in a different way as was happening here in Acts 15. And so when a believer and unbelievers disagree, you can understand and work through that. But for the church to be called by his name, what Jesus would pray for, that we would be one, that we would be unified. And Paul would insist that there be no divisions among you. This, this divisiveness, this pugnacious spirit that's going to fight you at every, at every point to polarize as Christians is not from heaven itself. But the spirit comes from heaven will lead us into a peace, a understanding, a respect, and an honor, even though there may be differences of opinions. And so it's more than what color of... Um, Marble should we put on the countertops in the kitchen? It's more than that. It's, it's something so much more uh, profound. And so as we get into the book of Acts 15, understand that what, what is happening in this passage is really epic making. And so let me just give you the context. You know, Paul was 36 AD. Paul was converted a major, major historical milestone in the book of Acts. And then Paul and Barnabas uh, start the movement out of Jerusalem up into this northern city called Antioch. And Antioch becomes the center of missions. So there's a shift going on. But now we've gone through last year, Paul going through the first missionary journey. And Paul and Barnabas being sent out from Antioch to go into the... uh, Asian area, and as we look at that, we, we remember the, him going through Cyprus and coming up through the Galatian area and going through Troas and Lystra and Derby, and, and so he's coming back. And so 
in context, I believe, and different scholars think different ways, that the book of Galatians was written afterwards. I think the book of Galatians was written before Acts 15. And so we come to this passage after the missionary journey. And this is epic making because there's something taking place. I want you to get a feel of what's going on for Paul and for Barnabas and the church because it's, it is right in the middle of the book and this is going to shift everything from the New Testament outward. And therefore, I understand that Paul's second missionary journey is coming right after this and we're going to pick that up where he's going to go into different churches and we'll Philippi is the main city. That's why we're studying Philippians, following Paul on this journey. But this is a unique gathering, and it takes place about 50 A.D. And this is about 14 years after Paul's conversion. So he's, he's probably not a young man, but he's a, a, a seasoned saint at this point. He's been out, he's thought through, and now he's out. Um, he's on the cutting edge. But not everybody is. And so 50, 51, uh, he'll spend time in the next couple of years in the second missionary journey. And then he goes into the third missionary journey in 54 AD. But this council in Jerusalem, this passage is, uh, is as every bit as important as Pentecost was, as the conversion of Cornelius uh, and his household, opening up the idea that Gentiles would come into the kingdom and that would receive the Holy Spirit in a way that was miraculous. Paul, uh, Paul's conversion and now Acts 15. This declaration, this tension, this conflict had to be decided as if it wasn't decided, the second missionary journey and, and the questioning of Paul and the authority of the gospel was really at stake. And so as I begin this, the question, the question that Paul and Barnabas is, uh, that are addressing us are some essential issues and pay attention because these essential issues were settled then and are still not settled today in some people's minds as you'll see because there's some things about what is essential. And we understand from different quotes that uh, Augustine is, is, is said to have quoted this but others have been attributed to this as well. But here's the principle. In the essentials, unity. In the non-essentials, liberty. But in all things, charity. You got that? Can you say that? In the essentials, unity. In the non-essentials, there's liberty. But in all things, charity or love. And therefore, that's the, our call for compassion as you enter into this disagreement. And Philip Schaff said that this is, this phrase is, should be stamped on our forehead. This is the watchword. This is what governs our attitudes as we go into all these discussions. This is the peacemaker's mindset. But as we get into this, here's the claim. The guys came to, to the council and said, this is the essential part of the gospel. That unless the Gentiles are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. 
And therefore the question here is salvation. It's a doctrinal question. It's a doctrinal idea. It's a teaching that Paul would understand differently than what the Pharisees, though he was a Pharisee, he had shifted his understanding because he was, as a Jewish person, uh, conditioned and trained in the, in the highest order to believe that keeping the law would bring about salvation. Now, in the Old Testament, you won't find the phrase, if you keep the law, you'll go to heaven. In the Old Testament, if you keep the law, you will be blessed by God. And therefore, the idea of salvation, of, of that the Messiah would come to open up a kingdom, that that kingdom would bring about salvation, uh, and that there would be a day that all the nations would gather unto the Messiah, but this salvation would come on the basis of faith and faith alone. Well, here you've got a group of people who were convinced. They were dogmatic. They were understanding that you have to be circumcised to be saved. And, some, and they were they're Pharisees. Now remember, they were the sect of the Pharisees, and it says that these Pharisees were believers. They had come to Christ, but because of their idea, their notion that they have been groomed as Jewish people to keep the law, they always thought that well, we have to keep the law. Therefore, isn't it logical that the Gentiles, if they come to Christ, should keep the law? Of course they would think that. But the ideas that they thought would have consequences according to the way the ministry that Paul and Barnabas should do. You should teach them to be circumcised, Paul, and you're not doing that. And therefore, this debate about how you see the essentials of, of the gospel being worked out, and that's really what's at stake. What's at stake is a, either a paraphrase or a rewriting or a distortion of the gospel, and that's why this is so significant. It had to be clarified before they moved on. But they were, they, make no mistake, they were believers. But they were believers who had a conviction based on their background. And therefore, how, does, how do you deal with someone who has a stubborn conviction? This is the way you should go. Trying to talk to somebody like that is, is going to spark fire and arguments that you're going to say, this is the way. And if you've been trained to think that way and you've been running with people all your life and you've been invested in this emotionally, of course you're going to have some passion about it. They said the Gentiles have to be initiated into Judaism. And these were the Judaizers. The Judaizers weren't the unbelieving Pharisees. The Judaizers were the believing Pharisees who said you have to be initiated into the Judaistic way of thinking in order to get saved. And second, you have to live under that law of Moses in order to be embraced, in order to be accepted. Ideas have consequences. And therefore, you have these questions, and you have the same questions as we do today, similarly, in terms of what does it mean to be a believer? Do Gentiles become Jews to become Christians? 
Does a Jew have to give up his or her Judaism to be a Christian? Well, what does it mean to be a Jew? What does it mean to be a Gentile? What does it mean to be a Christian? These ideas are defined by you or your culture or your group that you run with. But if you don't understand what you don't understand, or if you understand what you understand, you're going to meet people who don't understand what you understand. Understand? And so can you communicate with other people who don't understand? That's the problem. Now, getting people into the Jewish system, notice what Jesus would say. You guys do this. You Jewish people will cross land and seas, and, and you will travel around to make one proselyte. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much of a son of hell as yourselves. Uh, this is not the way to win friends and influence people. But he was very forthright in saying, and notice what he said. When you make a Gentile, when, you, when there's a proselyte, when you go convince somebody that this is, he did not say you make the Gentile Jewish. He says you, you make a proselyte. He can come into the outer courts. He can, he can become a participant. But he, the Gentile never becomes a Jew. And therefore, to understand that what they would want the Gentiles to do was to be circumcised like the Jew, keep the law like a Jew, but they would never be Jews. And therefore, the question of national identity and who are the people of God is stand by this law of Moses. And so, in Jerusalem as today, they didn't agree. They weren't of one accord. And there were a lot of people who had different ideas on this. There were conservative people who believed in the resurrection and there were liberal people who didn't. The Sadducees didn't. But the way it was done in Jerusalem according to the system in Jerusalem in the, in the headquarters was by the book. But you step outside of Jerusalem and they didn't keep the book. And therefore outside of Jerusalem you'll find that when Peter went to Cornelius, it says Cornelius was baptized and, got, and received the Holy Spirit, but Cornelius was not circumcised. And so this was the first time that Peter had ventured outside of Jerusalem to engage and experience what God was doing among the Gentiles. It was radical in the sense that everything that we had had because of Pentecost here Cornelius and his house was enjoying the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit coming into their house and, they, and Cornelius was saved. But not if, they, if Cornelius would have, been, would have been saved in Jerusalem, he would have had to been circumcised. But Peter had that experience of, of, with a Gentile. Then you go to Antioch and all the growth that happened in Antioch, they didn't circumcise people to make them Jewish in Antioch. And so there's a, a real tension here. The Judaizers believers were saying, since we have heard that some of our number to whom we gave no instruction, uh, they have disturbed you with their words, unsettling your soul. There were men who came from Jerusalem. You've got to be circumcised. You've got to keep the law. You got and they traveled up to Antioch. Now notice they weren't appointed they weren't commissioned. 
these were self-willed men who said, this is our conviction. We've got to go address these things without any leadership or authorization. And they were independently fighting for what they said, this is what we have to do. And they took off of their own accord. And they started disturbing some. Here's a thing. They had a dogmatic mind, a fundamental perceptions, and that they were not open to allow for any other understanding because this is, we're not depending on, it doesn't get that feel for in the Greek it says no small discussion. No small discussion. And when the, when the New Testament talks about the negative, uh, they put the no small in order to draw your attention to it. It's their way of highlighting that there's, pay, there's, this was significant by putting it in the negative. No small discussion. There was, we put it in the positive, we lose that. This was their way to emphasize there was a hot head in the house. And this was hard to deal with. And this was a passionate, political, polemical. It wasn't a peaceful. This, it was in your face debate. Burning. And therefore, you could see on a Friday night, the oil lamps were all burning brightly till the middle. Wait a minute. And that's when Paul would say, wait a minute. You guys don't even do it in Jerusalem. You can't keep the law, and therefore there's double standards. Why would you expect the Gentiles to do what you guys don't do? And therefore Paul had them locked in logic to admit the fact that, yeah, ideas have consequences. And therefore they discussed and they debated, but the third thing is that they listened to Paul and Barnabas as they would unfold what God was doing among the Gentiles. And for the first time, one who's narrow-minded and closed and thinking this is the way it's got to be done, all of a sudden sees God at work doing things this way. And the challenges to the ideas that you have, it seems right to you, but God says, it's not right to me. Because I am out for a different purpose and you're missing it. And therefore, they listened to the developments as, as Paul would, and Barnabas would talk about how the Gentiles would get the Holy Spirit. And they would get saved and they would come to Christ. And, and dumbfounded, no doubt the Pharisees would say, Man, but they didn't get circumcised. And they're focused over here on, but they didn't keep the, and God's doing this. And so there's a disconnect, a dissonance that says, how do you resolve this? Because I've got a confirmation bias. God's not doing it this way. And God, should, and God says, no, there's something else you don't understand. And therefore, they deliberated. And then James speaks. From Jerusalem, James speaks and says, listen. And notice what James does. When James enters into the discussion, after having listened to Paul, he says, the scripture says, the scripture says, let's go back to the scriptures. And as he points out in the scriptures that God had always promised through Amos and Micah and Isaiah that God is always going to call the Gentiles. He's, that's always been the strategic plan. And, but, but he locked it into the authority 
of the Old Testament. He knew the Old Testament and he knew the way God was working and the prophets. And the prophets, as I mentioned back in December, I think I did, I'm sure I did, the prophet, priest, and king. Who is the most important person? Prophet, priest, or king? The prophet, not the king. Because the king was subject to the prophets. And so there was no king here to make that decision. But the authority of the prophets, the authority of the word of God, when the Spirit of God opened their eyes to see all the things in the prophets and the Old Testament written concerning the Christ, this Messiah is going to be moving out to the nations. And so they understood, the prophets understood that God's going to call the Gentiles in. And so James acknowledged that this was God's work to rebuild after the temple was destroyed and after they came back from exile. The Messiah was now coming to introduce the kingdom and the kingdom would include the Gentiles. And notice in James' exposition, he didn't refer to Paul or Barnabas. He didn't refer to the experience. He went back to the anchor of the scriptures. And therefore, in discerning how God's spirit was working from the Bible, first, spirit working to stop your arguing, to stop your confronting people with, with things. This is when you became silent, when you, when you become still before the Lord, say, okay, Lord, I'm teachable. I'm open. But their silence meant a shift. They were open to learn. And they said, okay. And that moved them from disagreement to agreement. It was the Holy Spirit, and it's always the Holy Spirit who brings people together, isn't it? Sure it is. And therefore, there was an update. They had to download the thinking of the Holy Spirit. And when the thinking of the Holy Spirit came in, they made the decision. The way of salvation for Jew and Gentile would be the same. The way the Holy Spirit works among the Jews is to give the Jews grace to have faith in Christ. And the Holy Spirit would open the minds of the Jews to understand it's not about the law. It's not about circumcision. It's about this faith and relationship in Christ. The way God works in his spirit through the Gentiles is he does, he opens our eyes and he sees the need for salvation for faith in Christ. And God's grace gives the Gentiles faith to believe that Jesus died for them like he died for the Jews. And both of these would have the same way for salvation. It seemed good to us. Now notice what that says. Having become of one mind. There is a process there is a, 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 a journey that you have to take to become silent in order to become of one accord. It's letting go and then embracing the new things. This is what was going on. And when the church did that, notice what that says. Those little phrases. It says the apostles, the 12 apostles, the elders, and the whole church. They were all in agreement. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was in the church leading them. And that group were sensitive to the scriptures, the, the spirit, 
And then filtering the idea of what God was doing through Paul and Barnabas, they said, oh, we get it. We get it. And so they said, they, they, all of those apostles, elders, and the church sent Paul and Barnabas back with Judas and Silas. The unity, the harmony, the agreement in the church is established on the gospel principle that salvation is by faith alone. The essentials are the promises of God, the person of Christ, and the redemptive purposes of the Holy Spirit among all the nations. Now, can you imagine that walk back to Antioch? Can you imagine these four guys and maybe some others just celebrating like, wow, what God is doing in the church to bring people together, to have one mind in the essentials. Now, there's going to be other things that are non-essentials that there'll be disagreement about. You'll see that next week as we move into the second, second uh, missionary journey. But do Hebrew Jews believe differently than Gentile Christians? The answer is no. The answer is no. There is agreement on the fundamentals. A Jewish person becomes a believer by faith. He becomes a messiah, a follower, becomes a believer by faith in Jesus, and he becomes a son of Abraham. He doesn't become Jewish. He becomes a child of God. He does not change nationalities, but he changes his kingdom. And therefore, the doctrinal principle is, not, is settled, but it's not just a doctrinal principle but it's a relational issue because now what you believe, if your ideas have consequences, then it means that this kingdom principle of the gospel means you have to translate it in how you relate to people. And this was the issue. They refused. They refused to relate to uncircumcised Gentiles. We don't want to be with those people. And therefore, practically, I don't want to sit down and eat food that... I don't like that. And so they had to adjust and grow. It wasn't only doctrinal. It was also spiritually developmental. So they had to open up and learn to adjust and to change, to have a, a broader view. Because what you understand, that the strategic plan of the Holy Spirit was not just to move in Jerusalem, in Judea, but he's going to move to Samaria, people that you don't like, don't enjoy being with, you wouldn't sit down at a table with, and to the uttermost parts of the world. This is where Paul and Barnabas were growing. But you have to understand that the essential was the church, the church, the called, the ecclesia, those who had, had been touched by the Holy Spirit and been brought to Christ because of their sin is the same way that the nations are going to be touched by Christ and, and know their sin and be brought to salvation as well. So the takeaways for us are these. First of all, the, the connection with people, when you have to connect with people. And, and you can't be an isolated, independent Lone Ranger doing your thing without any authorization. You have your opinions, but you're not a, a, a Lone Ranger. We don't want Marlboro Christians. Marlboro Man Christians. I better, I better put that on the, on the horse by himself. Proverbs says, he who separates himself seeks his own desire. There are no lone rangers 
no silo Christians. We are to connect and we are to communicate. What you believe is what you believe and where, what you believe is where you are in your point of understanding what you believe. But we invite you to think about the ideas from Scripture, and to reason from Scripture, as, as Paul and Peter and Barnabas did there, but to understand that the leadership took over and they led that discussion and then they came to the conclusion that the Holy Spirit is doing something, developing us to enlarge who we are to reach the world. Therefore, as we understand that, we move now into the second missionary journey. And that's going to be a fascinating ride because as you begin to see these principles play out, they also will play out for you and me as we move in and learn more how God is going to connect us with those who don't believe and how God's going to use us and connect us with those who do. Those issues are the essential issues. It's to mobilize the gospel. And if you're committed to that goal and the Spirit of God is developing you, you're going to grow and you'll see things as it seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us here in leadership. Well, be prepared for this, this year because it's going to be an exciting year. As we close, uh, let me uh, just, just invite you to go into the book of Acts, continue to stay and read carefully because all these little details make a difference. And, some, and so when we get together, listen, listen, love, love. Learn, learn.